This is a crowd podcast. I'm Sam Warburton and you're listening to Captains, the leadership podcast where I chat with some of the biggest names in sport about what it takes to build winning teams. Today, I'm joined by former Wales football captain, Ashley Williams. Don't hesitate, just act, go for it. I remember after the quarterfinals, lads were saying, and I, you couldn't help but think it, we might win the Euros here. Hi all, and thanks again for listening to Captains. It's another really good one today. Ashley had a great career, starting out at Stockport, working his way up the pyramid before playing for Swansea and Everton in the Premier League. But it's his time captain in Wales that we focus on here, specifically our historic run to the semi-finals of Euro 2016. I remember that summer so well. Whether I was with Wales or whether I was back home wrestling, I made sure I watched every game. And that win over Belgium, wow. As you know, I love my football and always love comparing notes with football captains. So it was great to talk about the pressure and the hype when Wales play England in both sports. And we hear a little bit about the chaos Gareth Bale used to cause Ashley when he was his captain. As ever, there are loads of little takeaways in here. So let's get straight into it. I hope you enjoy my chat with Ashley Williams. Ashley, thanks for coming on. We've we've never actually like properly met. Considering we were both captains for the national team during the same time, you think that during like a charity gig or a sponsors event that they would have probably got us both together, but it never actually happened. We used to see you boys in the training ground a lot, like we'd watch the Welsh lads training at the Vale. But strange, it's actually taken this long to meet. So thanks for coming on. I've always wanted to pick your brains because you sort of spearheaded a real kind of new successful era for Welsh football so I'm excited for the chat so thanks for coming on no, my pleasure so yeah you're, you're right we always we was like ships in the night weren't we we'd always see you guys <laughs> um, and then you'd see us but we'd hear you before we saw you training. and <laughs> yeah. it, it was always like um, a, a running like a joke a theme where you just made us feel a little bit inferior where you, we'd see you go down to training. Because our pitches were right by each other, weren't they? You had that yeah, one like pitch, we had the one next other. to you, yeah. So then it'd be like, you'd go to training before us, we'd go <laughs> to train, finish, and you guys would still be going and we could hear... Some, there'd be times where our training session would just stop and we'd just be like, Jesus, <laughs> what are they doing? Do you know, <laughs> we used to share a training ground with... Um, well, I say share, we had the same building as Cardiff City, so at club level. So we had like a couple of floors, they had a couple of floors. And we had this like artificial grass outside the gym and we'd be out there like... And they'd be slamming us on a Monday, Tuesday and the City boys would be walking past. And like some of them would joke around, they'd be like, lad, like what's going like what are you doing they'd be like we're getting paid like five times as much as you and you're doing like twice as much work as us yeah, they used to, so you used to have to walk past the gym didn't you to get down That's to the right. field yeah you always walk and across we'd, we'd, yeah. we'd be like walking back up it looked and sounded just a lot we would just stop at times and go wow what are they doing and then there'd be there'd be lads you guys are sitting on top of the yeah, the thing, yeah. the box, the square thing, yeah, whatever to it is, weight, yeah. to add weight. And I was like, oh, they really get after it. Like you could, we always had appreciation for you guys. And I love rugby. I don't, I don't understand all of the bits of rugby. I'm not an, an expert. Not all but, the players, don't worry. But, <laughs> but it's like, how can you live in Wales for ten years and not 
be interested in rugby because it's such a it's such a massive sport that I don't think people in England or elsewhere understand how big rugby is and how big you guys are in the country. And um, so I kind of got into it with that. But now watching my son play rugby a little bit at school, it's all it, 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 a lot of it entertains me. But one of the things is a difference I feel is when you guys get injured, the physio comes on and nothing stops. Yeah. <laughs> it just carries yeah. on. It just carry on like football. It's so bizarre. It's like he's injured. Stop the game. Like this is gonna shut down. And you guys are just like okay. I don't know. Like um, Joey's back there. He, he's knocked out. But we're just gonna continue playing. Well, what, what's that like in football then? Like say in rugby. Like what? Say I've always like I find it fascinating chatting to you boys because I obviously I love football. Like you, you're, you basically did what I wanted to do: be a centre back at pro level. I'm basically a failed footballer who had to turn to rugby basically. So um, it's just. Like if somebody goes down injured, do you boys like take take the mick out of them when you go back into the training ground? Like, oh, you're soft, get up, or are you like, oh no, like yeah. milk the free kick? Like, what what is the mentality? Well, there's there's a few parts to that. There's there's players that can buy a free kick, which now, mm. especially now in football, is is a skill. I'm sure you played against like Aaron Lennon, for example. He would have like yeah. he was a great player for that. Yeah, and it and it's not a, and it's not a dive. It's not mm. cheating. If you look at Jack Grealish now, mm. if you look at Harry Wilson in the in our national team, they buy fouls and they are they're genuine fouls, mm. but they've they've modified the contact so it's a foul. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if that's on your team, you're you're really happy with that, especially if you've got Gareth Bale or Harry Wilson or someone who can take mm. a good free kick. Um, but other times, there's, there is some times where you say, and especially for me, because I'm quite old school and my background was coming through non-league with some real uh, tough, you know, men. So I, I, I was fortunate to see the change in football in terms of it went from, you know, uh, you just get on with it and you, you get the job done to now where everything's micromanaged, especially physically. Um, and any touch, uh, any any injuries really looked after, which is a good thing. Um, but I do think we need to kind of get back a little bit towards the fact that it's a contact sport and you're going to get injured. It's one thing buying a free kick and jump, hopping back up, but when you go down like you're injured and you're not, that's it's cheating in my in my eyes, I think. And I don't think you guys get that because you guys, I'm not sure you could, you could probably answer that better, but I guess when you get injured, it's it's an injury. Yeah, oh, it's, it's creeping in a little bit in rugby now with this uh, big sort of... Um like big focus on the sport now to avoid head contact. So you're starting to see some boys milk head contacts. I'm like, oh no, let's let's not go down that way, you know? So I yeah. think there's probably a crossroads now where we can try and change that. How about like say life now? You probably got you're in the media, very good at it. Thank you. Do you you probably have a good appreciation for the media because you've been captain, you're put in front of the camera so much more often. Do you like the media? And did you pay much attention to it when you were captain because it must be so hard not to in football which is such a high profile sport where everything's under the microscope how did you deal with the media and are you enjoying being this side of the fence now post playing yeah well it's it's funny because as you say I had to go always to the press conference to the media day um, post match pre match I had to do most of that and I really didn't enjoy it I really didn't enjoy it at all because I what I did like was the people I thought especially the, the Welsh journalists were always respectful and friendly and we chat before and after the interview. Um, I knew it was part of the duty that comes with being a football player and as captain. Um, I didn't enjoy it. Um, I, I wasn't sure why. I, it just wasn't something I wanted to do. So when I retired, my agent was like, BBC's down the road um, and 
and the head of BBC Sport really wanted me to go on and I was like I, I, it's not for me I don't want to do that really? uh, I'm not sure what I want to do I'd done my coaching badges I wasn't sure if I wanted to go down that route either so I did I did a show anyway and uh, I quite liked it um, and it took me a while to find my feet in it and then there was one day that I realised uh, I can answer I can take this answer wherever I want to go and I'm now being paid to give an opinion and I think that's something um, with the current athletes that's a shame really because you, you they ask you I ask somebody a question I know what he's going to answer me if he's still playing yeah, it's such a generic answer because it has to be because they can't say anything that's going to cause a headline and I understand that and, and I did years of just saying the right thing saying what was needed to be said and I found it boring um, and it was just chore it was just a, a box to tick you know, throughout the week, the day before a game would be press conference or, you know, during the week would be media day. Um, I wasn't a fan of it at all. But now going into it and taking things, um, you know, asking questions or answering questions and not having to worry about the kickback of maybe saying, you know, um, Tottenham wasn't very good today. Well, if you said that, post game it's a big it's yeah. a headline the next day Ashley Williams has hammered Tottenham Hotspur mm. well if they're not very good on that day or they're not you know and even with your own team you never you're never going to really say what you're going to say in five minutes in the dressing room because it's just it's just not done so it was very two very different aspects to me and it took me probably 12 months to realize doing the media work that uh, you're a little bit freer here you can say w- what you actually feel so have Premiership captains, do you think, change? You played through, you know, a significant period of time. Do you look at the game now and the captains who are playing and then compare them to, say, yourself, and then even when you were first coming through? Has that leadership and captaincy style changed through the years of the Premier League? Or do you think it's remained quite consistent? No, I think I think it's changed quite a lot. And I think it's changed because the personality of, of football players have changed. So I seen it firsthand and I went from a non-league team with with semi-professional football players that worked nine to five and, and trained Tuesday, Thursday and played Saturday to the highest level in the Premier League where um, that's that's all we did. We were, we were just athletes. And the difference was, and I had to really, to learn this skill in terms of, at, at first I was just shout aggression, um, because that's what got the best out of me and that's how I grew up. That was my footballing education from people older than me. They would fight at half time and it would be forgotten after the game and it was just normal. And I don't know, there'd, there'd be punches thrown and, and whatever and it was fine. And, and I thought that was the way things got done until I, I remember um, there was, we had a lad, I don't know if you remember him at Swansea from South Korea and Ki Sung Young, mm. unbelievably talented yeah. player, Rolls Royce in midfield and, and I used to shout at him a lot because at that point it was that's what I knew it was you shout you be aggressive you rev up the team if they're not performing for whatever reason you shout louder and be more aggressive and and it'll get there and and it was a, a point with him where I was thinking this is this just isn't working and so that was a big point that I always remember where I, I stepped back and I thought what good is that doing it, it's not getting the desired effect um, so maybe I need to change my approach to him. And then from that moment on, I realized there was so many layers to leadership and, and, and different ways to go about it to get the desired result, which would be to win today and also carrying on to have a good season or, or whatever it might be with that group of players. But he was the one that taught me without saying anything 
that maybe I need to approach it differently. And then we had a good relationship anyway, but I just realized once I shouted at this kid, he was going to get worse. He was getting worse um, on the field and it doesn't work. So then I was like, hey, maybe, maybe I should talk to him. Maybe I should talk to him. He's from a, a completely different continent. Mm. That might not be the way that he was, you know, raised in football. And then I, d- I changed my um, approach towards him and it, and it seemed to help him and help us because I knew that he was such a good player, we needed him. So what's the point of doing it how I wanted to do it or thought it was the right way if it didn't get the desired approach and uh, effect? So I changed the approach with him and then I realised that, okay, so if I'm going to be the leader of, let's call it 20, 25 players, and then also we're trying to lead upwards as well to the management and the coaches and, and people above that, I need to understand the terrain a little bit of of who, who I'm talking to at what moment and also what the uh, environment is, what the atmosphere is like at each time. So constantly trying to observe and take in and be receptive to where we're at. You know, is it half time? Is it the end of the game? What are the emotions like? Who am I talking to? There's some players, you know, Nathan Dyer at Swansea, Wayne Routledge at Swansea. You can really let them have it. Neil Taylor at Wales. You can go completely berserk at them and it gets the desired result. There's other players that you just need to just shift the approach a little bit, maybe. So then I started to learn, okay, for me to do that, now I have to kind of part my emotions because I'm an emotional player. Like a lot of it, I just, it's emotion that drove me all the way through. So I need to move the emotion a little bit to the side, maybe to deal with this player or this situation a little bit better to, because in the end, we're all going in the same direction and we're all trying to get the same objective at the end. It's good you've got that awareness, Mike. So I've had plenty of players who just don't change that style that they have. And they, do, they don't realise they have to, like you've said, treat different people differently. I was captain at Stockport County at maybe 21 years old, I think, a very a young captain. And one of the things that I think put me in the, the role was, on which I've always lived by, is you know, just being front-footed, being aggressive and making a decision because I think a lot of time people hesitate and they look towards somebody and we do that, I just think, as human beings anyway. But let's not wait any longer within the game or within the week, the practice, whatever it might be. So I started to adopt that mentality uh, from quite a young age, I mean, you know, maybe 2021 20, and just the way I went about my own career because at that point I was... I was in League Two. I knew I didn't want to stay there and I, I needed to move. So I, every day I was just training like an animal and really getting after it and in the games and everything, taking it real serious. So then I realised people are joining me. So if I raise the level of this training session, now you've got five or six, seven, eight, and the training session is a lot better just because I'm you know, at 100% uh, effort tackling people, running harder, doing everything, communicating a lot better. So then it raised the whole group. And I think that managers looked at me and said, okay, he, he could be a leader, but really it took a good you know five or six years for me to actually drill down a little bit more into leadership and see what makes a good leader. Who were the influences when you were young then? Like who were the sort of good captains maybe coming through the system you saw, you thought you quite, you, you liked that and you wanted to replicate little parts of that. Was there anybody you sort of did look up to that you liked? I think because I played non-league and then I went to Stockport County, my first one's my father. He was, he showed me the work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he went to work uh, at a factory and, and he was up at the 
crack of dawn he was out before I'd see him he'd got back at five and just worked really hard so that I knew that that was that was something that was instilled in me and a lot of discipline he's from Jamaica and the very disciplined type of that generation was was like that um, and then coming through a lot of players that you'd never have heard of but just the way they went about it and as I say they they was they didn't take any messing about there wasn't no feeling sorry for yourself victim mentality or I'm tired today or that you know my ankle hurts it was like if you're on the field or you're on the training pitch you get the job done or or leave the, the training pitch so I had this um attitude of just get the job done that, that was all I knew it was like well you know if you've been poorly last night you just no one cares if you if you're that ill then don't play declare yourself unfit and and get the job done that was the, how i did things and that for a very long time i think i just concentrated on myself which sounds selfish but it probably raised the um the level of of application without within the group and then there's some people that we would know, like Craig Bellamy. He was I joined I made my debut for Wales and it was about twelve months before he came back from a long injury. And when I trained with him, I was like, Okay, so this is how you would lead a training session. This is how you come professional. Um, and everything's done to uh, such a high standard and the way he conducted himself around the the Vale and the hotel, um, the, the standards that he set for himself and for everybody else. I learned a lot from him in terms of I wanted to be that character, that figure when he'd left that, you know, raised the bar. And, and it was always, well, you know, one of the, the things, one of the big points for me is, you know, I have to be seen as the one that's that's doing it first, that's, you know that, and that doesn't mean that I might go and go in the gym every day first. But you know, I'm not going to ask the lads to do something if I'm being you know sloppy with what I'm doing around the press and unprofessional. So I tried to set the standard, and then you know, I think normally I'm not sure what it'd be like for you guys. I'm guessing the same sort of thing. You you've probably got three or four that are tight with you as well as captain and a little leadership group or whatever it might be called. Um, and then between you four or five, you can kind of set the standard. Um, and then the rest of them normally just, you know, tag along. Euro 2016 was a massive deal back in Wales. I'm sure you you felt that. I was in New Zealand playing uh, for Wales at the time. And because of the time difference, we're like 12, 11 hours ahead, I think. We were getting up early, like even on training days, like to, to watch you lads. And we had a massive screen in our team room and we were getting up to watch the Wales games. It was great. We were all having like our breakfast like an hour earlier than normal but we're all watching you lads and it was Wales's first tournament since 1958 so it's a massive deal back and this is when I th- football just accelerated in in Wales it was awesome to see because we get to the press conference he'd be like oh are you worrying about the attention it'll take away from rugby we're like what are you mad we're like we're all massive football fans this is brilliant and we lo- we love this and a lot of the lads we came home from New Zealand went out and supported went out to actually support you lads and yeah. they were out drinking with the fans and stuff they loved it what was that like for you was it an experience you could just go out and just really enjoy because it is you'd almost in your mind you wouldn't have overachieved because you're, you're all sort of winners and you want to do well on that but to the fans Wales had probably like they probably felt like they'd won already just going to a Euro was there pressure to to achieve and do something great there or was it almost like alright oh, lads we can just enjoy this what was it like from, from your perspective it was more similar to what you said about the fans but I think the professional side of us said we're, we're here now so 
and, and you would have felt this loads of times is the world's watching and you're, you've got the wild shirt on. So it doesn't matter if you're playing a friendly in Albania on a Tuesday night or you're playing in the Euros, it's like you have to perform for Wales. But the majority of it was because there was this big 1958 thing going on and so many failed attempts, it was enough. We knew it was enough. We knew we could... As long as we didn't bomb out completely and perform terribly, we could probably come back and be okay with the fans and the, the general public. So we we didn't have that overriding pressure of we have to do something here. It, it was like, we might never do this. And a lot of us were getting on a little bit in our career. So we was like, we might never see this again. So make sure we take in a lot of it and, and enjoy it. It's, it's funny because as it went on, the pressure was getting less and less. Mm-hmm. So... We beat, we won the first game, we lost to England. Then, and this is going back to another thing, Gareth Bale stepped right up after that that England game and I was very down because I'm emotional, as I said. And he just stood up in the middle of the dressing room and said, lads, if this is right after the game. If we, if we had to beat Russia to go through at the start of the tournament, would we have taken that? And it was like, yeah, that we would have, definitely. Well, that's all we've got to do. So it was like another another voice coming in and I, and it was helped me. And I was like, yeah, we have to beat Russia over 90 minutes. Let's get back and let's get a shower and let's keep going. So we beat Russia and then we was into the just, it was funny because it was like, and we've all heard the stories of people booking weddings and uh, holidays. <laughs> we didn't expect to be there for that long. Like, I have to be honest, like we just didn't expect to be there. It's not, it wasn't something that we'd ever achieved before. So we just thought we'd be coming home at some point. As it was going and then we played Northern Ireland, that was a tricky one because that was one where we felt we had to win. Hmm. Probably the, one of the only ones. And then... And then we beat them and then we played Belgium, which were the number one ranked team in the world. Yeah, so okay. we we knew pressure was off, but quietly we was confident. We'd, we'd beat them a couple of times and we knew if there's one team that we need, we wanted to play, it was them because we knew they had an issue with us in terms of they felt like we was their bogey team. And we knew that because we knew yeah, some yeah. players in there. So we was like, we have, we have them mentally, definitely. But, and I think it all changed after that because I, I remember after the quarterfinals, lads were saying, and I, you couldn't help but think it is, we might win the Euros here. Yeah, so as, as silly as that yeah. sounds, it's like, we might win, we can win this now. And then I feel like that's probably, you can't, I don't regret it because how can you n- not think that when you're so close, you've only oh, got to win two do. games. Yeah. It's like, you, you, you can't help it. But, and we played Portugal, they had Ronaldo, but they wasn't the strongest team you know, that we could have played against. And we saw that between the 90 minutes, they were so defensive. They gave us so much respect. That caught us off guard. So in general, we just went because we knew we'd achieved, we'd already achieved it for everyone. We was like, you're going to be remembered for, for getting to Euro 2016. As it happens with the pressure off, I think we'll always be remembered for, for getting to the semi-final. Um, and, we, and there's two ways to look at it. You've got some people that go, you did nothing because you didn't win it and I understand but I think for us we know what what we'd achieved and then that's allowed um two more um groups of players to get to another euro and a world cup and now when I look back or when I'm at the world cup on on punditry duties I'm like geez this is a big deal you know the major tournament is a big deal when you're outside looking in 
But when you we was in camp, it didn't seem that. But you know, you know what it's like. You you're with your mates every day, and you're doing the same things you always do. You're playing Uno, or you're playing pool or darts, and you just you just roll from training session to meeting to game, and you just you just kind of get the job done. So the pressure was never really on inside the camp. What was it like, say, the England game? I remember when uh, when I was playing, and we had a World Cup, and they drew the pool. And Wales in rugby were drawn against England, and there was this really like funny, weird atmosphere. Because everyone was like, "This was like two years in advance." Everyone's like, "Oh my god, what an enormous game that's going to be!" And then it happened to you lads. Um, yeah. We had that in fifteen, and in sixteen, you lads were playing England. And I remember thinking, and it was like you—you you got business to do. You're playing pro football all year round, but in the background, there was just this enormous football match of Wales England coming up in the Euros. Yeah. What was that like to to be involved in that build up? Was that a, like one of the bigger international games you've been involved in? Because the, the attention from this side of the fence, as as fans look at it, it just looked it was just this enormous game you had to play. And what was it like from a player's perspective? Yeah, it was exactly the same as what you said. I remember the draw happening, and it was like, uh, obviously, <laughs> obviously, you're gonna, and and it was like we just play anyone rather than them, not because we're scared to play them, but because so much extra comes with it. We were already at Euros. We don't need any more extra attention. These are players that we play against every week, so it doesn't particularly matter like that. But we just knew how big it was. We didn't really particularly want it. We was we would have took anyone else. Um, and then, and like you say, you, that game is just always there. You just the clock's ticking towards that game, um, and it was so big, and it it felt so big. It felt so big once we arrived. We knew it was big at home. Um, and I've played England a few times, but this was a, this was a bigger one in the major tournament. And then on top of that. It went. It couldn't have gone any worse for us. It couldn't have gone any. I think it was a 98-minute winner mm. for them. Um, so it was a big hit. But looking back, that was the best thing to happen in that tournament uh, for it to go that way. And that's why I always use now. You know, coaching the, the the kids' teams and everything. It's like you, sometimes those kind of situations are the best thing to happen to a group of a team because. It just resets the focus a little bit, and and then you you get you develop this kind of well, well we've got nothing else to lose. The worst has already happened, so we'll, you can only get better from here. As much as he tried to play it down, so we we'd literally have Gareth Bale doing the like Wednesday press conference. He would say some outrageous stuff in there because that's Gaz's personality. He doesn't care, and he likes to wind up the media. So he'd say not one England player would get in the Welsh team. <laughs> So then I'm like, I'll get that news back. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. So then I have to go. To, yeah, so I go Thursday and go, well, actually, um, I don't know, you know, trying to. Like, maybe and some more. Like, yeah. Yeah. So he's laughing because he knows I've got to go and deal with that. So he's revving it up. And, and they're taking the bait, England. And England are saying some stuff. And it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then the game comes. And it's like, well, this again, you know, my last message in that was something along, I can't remember it word for word, but it's like, lads, we've been playing this since we were five, six years old to take away everything else. It's us against 11 men, 11 good men, but we're 11 good men as well. So let's just, you know, simplify it, take it right back, strip it down and let's just do the best we can. And what it will be, will be, let's just not have any regrets at the end of it. You're listening to Captains with me, Sam Warburton, and my guest, Ashley Williams. We're back at Euro 2016 with Ashley talking about his pre-match routine. 
what are you I don't expect you to say what you said but what were you like pre-match to England compared to other games was it different or were you still quite similar to how you were captain in other games this is how I seen it and let's remember I wasn't born in Wales yeah but I was adopted and and I, and I felt Welsh and I lived there for 10 years and you know I, I think it's it's a given that I would do anything for for Wales and um it was like your country against another country which is a little bit different to the team you're playing for playing against another you know city and Chris Coleman did not mind stoking that fire at all you know he'd rev me up before and then he'd just let me go and it was like we are ready to go so when you see some some of the games would be very fiery at the start of the game and then going back to to, to Mitch who was our psychologist would be give me the shout to calm the lads down because we would be very revved up I think and that once the anthem hits the Welsh anthem it's like it's goosebumps and it's go time and you know you, you've got to go and we was just so I always like you might go into a Premier League game a little bit um because there's so many of them it becomes a little bit just mm. one after another one after another but a Wales game you know, with what happens on game day, because you must have felt, it's like the country stops, isn't it? The country stops yeah. to watch you, you play. So it you know how big it. it is. Do you know, that, that's why I think you nailed it as a captain, as, as a team, because I'm, I'm really pleased you said that. And it's nice to hear, because I'm speaking here from a fan's perspective as well. And like all my mates, luckily my, all my friendship group, nicely, they're all football fans. And and it was it actually reminds me of an episode that uh, Jamie Peacock did with us at Rugby League legend and he said like you've got to give a shit about what you do and watching the Wales lads it looked like that it like it really looked like you cared and you like, you talk about how emotional you were that that is what it looked like on the field as well but and the fans like love that and they buy into that and they love supporting that so that's why I sort of all these things you've been saying, it's really nice to actually hear it because it's what I thought was happening, but it's nice that you can confirm it because I think that's how the fans got so much buy-in is because yeah. they saw the emotion that you were bringing and all the other players were bringing and fans absolutely loved that. They love it. What What about then the... There's a little bit of criticism after the videos emerging of the Welsh lads celebrating the England-Iceland loss. And yeah. I, I'm, like, I'm not trying to make out it was just you boys. Look, we, we, we've done exactly the same. Of course, yeah. it's, it's almost just like funny banter. You yeah. don't actually really care, but it's just banter. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know? So yeah. what what was the what were the players like responding to that when it came out? Was it perceived as funny or was your press officer like freaking out? Like, lads, this is really bad, you know? The press officer was losing his marbles. <laughs> and I was like, it. I know I'm going to have to go and front this up. And you got to remember half of the squad were born in England yeah, so it adds a little bit more to it as well so I'm like oh geez next week's gonna be fun isn't it because it's like <laughs> what, what are we doing and I was and I was in the room and I found it as funny as anyone else but I grew up an England fan there's no hiding that like I watched England football team over Wales football team so I've never lied about those things so it wasn't like as exactly how you said it it wasn't like uh, we hated England and wanted yeah. to go. It was just like you got to remember. You've been there for probably four weeks, five weeks. Anything, anything's yeah. funny at that point. Like so, watching <laughs> yeah. that game, we would watch every game. You know, games we didn't even care about and just support someone just because it's something to do. So that just seemed funny. I don't know how it got out. We blame Johnny Williams for, for leaking it somehow. <laughs> I don't know, but it got straight out. And then, um, and we knew it. We knew what was to come. But uh, I, I think that we. You know, Chris Coleman didn't take anything too serious. He wasn't, you know, he was just like, oh, geez. I remember he he come into the room when he heard all the noise and he was just, it, it was like, 
you know what it's like. I've had many situations like this where um, it gets taken way out of context. It, yeah. Okay, yes, yes, there's a video where we're celebrating Iceland's winning. But but who cares? Do you know what I mean? I, yeah. I don't know if England cared or not. They shouldn't because because it's not that big of a deal. Do you know, it's not like I mean, we just played against them a couple of weeks ago and they beat us and they celebrated that. I don't know if they hate us or not. We didn't hate them. It, it was just what it just was what it was. Yeah, just like that. What about the Belgium win then? So you you scored in that. Um, what that game again? I imagine the pressure was similar to England. But what was it like post match? That must have just been such a, a special game to have been involved in. What was that like as an experience? That Belgium game. Yeah, that was. It was. I, I, it was the best day of of my career, really? probably with the playoff final for Swansea. But that one was. It's everything that you you've you could ever dream of as a kid. It was everything, you know, quarterfinal, you scored, you beat the team that ranked one in the world. And it just all come together in terms of, we didn't doubt ourselves at all. Even when the first goal, what their goal went in, again, another setback, which was a good thing because up to that point, we was playing a little bit timid and the goal went in and no one said, I didn't have to say anything. No one said a word. It was like, okay, if we're going home, we're going home on our terms. And, we, and the, the freedom of that game, I've watched it back a few times. It's some of the best football I've ever seen, especially from a Wales team. We played unbelievable. Scoring the goal was... I don't really remember it. You know, I've seen it so many times, so I know what happened. But in from my own eyes, I can't... It was just a big blur of just emotion. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then half-time, we felt confident again. I remember going in and just feeling like, we, we, we've we got it. Like, we don't care anymore. We were past... It was like, yeah. of all that's happened with us, we've been, I don't know, 150th in the world ranked. Unfortunately, we lost our manager who we was close to. Hmm. Um, nothing else can happen to us. We just lost to England a few weeks ago. We've done it. It's, we've seen it all. We're just, we're going to go out for 45 minutes. And if we go home, so be it. But we're going home on our terms. And if... And we did that and we didn't go home. And I think after the game, you know, my kids came down, um, which is unusual in football. The kids came down, did an interview with Dan Walker, who I sometimes work with now. And um, it's just amazing. I just, then it's only, and you know what it's like, you're so locked in. It's a weird thing for people to understand that, for me to try and get across where in the game, you're locked in 100%, but you are aware yeah, it's a good way to put that. Yeah, like of what of what you're achieving. Like, oh my gosh, this is this is happening. This is happening now. And it wasn't until Sam Vogue scored the third, where I think everyone just was like, oh my, God, we've we've done it. We've won in the quarterfinals. We're through. There's no way that we're gonna concede two now uh, this, at this late time. So it was like just elation. You can't you can't replicate that. There's nothing else around that you're gonna get that kind of feeling from. And especially afterwards on the bus, just singing the songs, and you would have been there a million times. Just. It's just a group of guys that have worked and girls that have worked so hard to to achieve something, and finally you've got there. Sure, it's a really good way of putting it, actually. Like, because you know, you would have had this question when people say, "What's it like?" Say, like I just say, "What's it like playing in a Euro against Belgium, and winning?" And like, you kind of like, you know, what's it like playing for that many people? And I remember just, I'm like, well, I, I, I don't know, you just playing, like you say, you just yeah. locked in. But I can remember, like, and like you just said, it just reminded me. Once in a blue moon, you'll get a moment, like you say, when yeah. the third goes in. And you suddenly, that locked in feeling's gone. You get this childlike excitement, butterfly feeling in the stomach. And you're like, holy shit. Like this is, and you have this moment of realization. You And you, for a moment you switch out and you become a normal person. Do you know what I mean? Because you are just in like this autopilot. And you said that and it literally, I actually got that feeling back then. Because I remember the examples where 
you just can't help it. You have this overwhelming feeling of excitement. Don't you think those 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 exact moments that you, you've just nailed are the ones that now you remember. You kind of transport yourself back because I don't remember, yeah. you know, just being focused, heading out crosses, squeezing the line, dropping, tackling, reading the play. I, I don't really remember that, but I do. What I do remember is that moment of like <laughs> yeah. just going, "Oh my gosh!" Oh, like, know. Yeah, we're I'm, you're here like you, and then you start to think back about when you was four and five and oh, your yeah. primary school, and like then you transport yourself into the state, and you and what I find weird now is especially doing punditry or going to games with my kids and stuff it's like it's really I'm like I'm like I'm that I was that guy you know like I was that guy down there on the on the pitch like yeah, that's yeah. so weird I feel like a different person almost like yeah. you was the guy in the middle of all of that calling making calls and, and executing them right there in the in the middle of the pitch but you're so focused at the time that it's not mm. often you get that out out of focus uh, feeling to take it all in Oh, I do, yeah, I do that now as punditry. I watch the I watch the boys run out in the Six Nations game, and in my head, I don't say it to him. In my head, I go, "Shit, did I do this? Yeah. Was was the hype like this when I played?" And I can tell you now from year twenty year twenty sixteen, the hype was what you'll see even more so, you know. But it's not until you try and people advise you try and take it when you're doing it because and you and you try to, but you, but yeah. you can't truly do it because you're you're on like you say you're sort of yeah. in that you're sort of locked in. So it's, it's a really good analogy that just yeah that just brought back flooded back a load of memories for me. What about Gareth then? What was he like as a leader? He's obviously been with yourself or you sort of make that leadership group. You know, you guys it's all it sort of felt like yourself, sort of Gaz and Rambo was sort of spearheading this sort of Welsh revolt, which has sort mm-hmm. of broken down all the barriers for Wales now. And it's kind of normal to see us in a yeah. in a sort of Euro now and you guys have broken down that barrier. What was what was he like to have around as a leader and as, as a personality? I think he was excellent for me. Um in terms of we've, we're we're very similar off the field and we used to room next door to each other. We we're very close. We have a lot of interests, which are silly. You know, we, we, we watch UFO documentaries <laughs> and we watch silly things like that a lot. I, I, I like So we talk about stuff like that. But in terms of football, he was great for me because you got to remember he... And I think I think people forget this. He was in the conversation of one of the best three football players in the mm. world for a long time. So he'd squeezed into that Messi Ronaldo bracket, whether he was or he wasn't. He was in the conversation. So I could always lean on him at any point. So he, he's not emotional. You know that that was my fear for him taking over the captaincy. That who in that squad is mm. gonna crash around and swear and shout and get them revved up he, that's not him and he'd be the first to say that but he's very clever and astute in his way um, and he has a lot of those qualities that we've spoken about today but but without the loudness um, so he would sometimes take it down a notch so it would be push 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 from me he might just come at, it at a different angle um, like like the the example that I gave earlier but he was good in terms of for me to go to him and say what do you think's best about this because you, he's done more he'd achieved more he's traveled more he's played with better players so I could always lean on him to ask he knows what he wants Gaz so you know it was it's a small example one that just comes to my head is like we had a manager that said we are traveling in suits and he was like, and I remember him talking to both of us and he was, I'm like, okay, cool. In my head, I'm thinking, we don't really want to travel in suits. It's uncomfortable on the plane. And Gaz was like, we're not. And I was like, but what? And he was like, we're not traveling in suits. It's uncomfortable. We don't do that. 
none these boys don't really wear suits unless they're going to a wedding these days so then we're not doing it and i was like okay cool like you know his experience had said we're gonna the little mm. you know there's one percenters that, that get buzzed around all the time we want to travel comfortable we wear smart clothes but we we want you know smartish but so it's just things where his experience of going to Champions League finals or, you know, playing Copa del Rey or winning the, the La Liga, you could always go to him with a question of what do you think about this? Or, oh, you know, we'd worked on this on Tuesday and Wednesday and I, I was just mulling over it. Is that the, the right thing? And go to him and he'll do, he probably knows, you know, he's probably got the answer for it. So he was real good. I think we was chalk and cheese in our approach, um, but it, it worked well. And it, it, he was another one where... If I had him behind me in the line, I felt a lot better than when I played without him behind me in the line. Because you, you, someone else as captain, sometimes you know what it's like. Sometimes you feel a bit alone out there, you, especially when it's going south. You, could, you, you feel like everyone's looking at you as to where to go. And it's nice when you've got someone else that you can, you know, when there's a break in play, you can say, right, what, let's just, re what we're going to do here. And between you, you can make Love a plan that. quickly. I want to ask you about your captain's compass. So it's what I've asked other guests. So you've got your compass, erase it blank, but you put on the four pillars, the four traits that you liked to demonstrate when you were captain. So what would be the four traits that you like to demonstrate as a as a captain, whether it's for, for Swansea or for Wales? I think that this kind of thing has evolved for me, as I've alluded to already. Um, but if, think, if I think of four points, one would, would, would be responsibility, like extreme responsibility. So... You know, I had a thing where, and I still have it today. In in every anything that I'm doing is what what did I do or what could I have done better? And if we all have that, the outcome is is going to be good. But for me first, I think I'll take the flack. I'll take any flack for anything for anyone underneath my team. So at least then they can trust me. Um, the next one would be probably con consistency. I think people can follow someone who has the same consistent message and delivery uh, of the message, you know? So it's not one day it's this and one day it's that. One day you're, you're training properly, the next day you're not. It's every day we're coming in here to be professional, to train. Again, the trust element is there where they can say, I'll follow that guy. You know, you know what it's like. You stand at the front of the line and they, you'd national anthem plays. It's very proud. And they are happy for me to, to lead them out in, into the battle. The next one would be, uh, how can I put this? Observ observating and, and listening. So that goes back to some of the things that I've said in terms of listening to what people, instead of talking so much, sometimes it might be listening hmm, and yeah, just what and observing, you know, because not everyone wants to say, but does this guy need to be pushed more or does this guy need a, a bit of a break? Is, is something going on at home? Is he having a tough time? Is he tired? What What is it? Or is he just being lazy and he's a little bit, you know, the motivation's gone a little bit. So observing and listening to the situation and and kind of, and, and that goes a bit further as well in terms of, like I said before, where's the manager at? Where's the coaches at? Where, where are we training today? Have we just traveled? What was that flight like? Was it a long one? Have we got good facility? You know, mate, you can't keep pushing, pushing, pushing when the lads are at breaking point already, when it's when things haven't gone well, especially 
post game also. So the, and the fourth one would be I think clarity maybe clarity in terms of get straight to the point if 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 that's possible. Let's not let's not you know skim round the issue. If there's something needs to be said. And I would always say, you tell me, you know, if it's something I'm not doing, you make sure you tell me because that's how we all grow. So be honest with the, with people, be honest with them, um, be clear with the message and let's not confuse it and let's communicate well. So it's small. It doesn't need to be long stories all the time. Let's just communicate with whatever it might be. So it, the one before where I'm saying hey, I'm, I'm observing, not everyone's comfortable to communicate with what it is. But I think it's important that, especially as the leader, I'm going to communicate it and make these people feel like they're safe and they're not in a in a way where I'm going to protect them from all, you know, everything. But I, f- I feel like they felt safe walking out behind me and I've got their back at all times. I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to be the first man th- through the door. And they know, oh, Ash is here. And I, I'm, I don't know, but I'm guessing if you ask them, they would feel happier when I was with them on there, um, especially because football, you know, a lot of people <laughs> through the years have said, you should be playing rugby. You know, because it's like, I liked the physical contact. And I had a lot of skillful players and little guys on the team and stuff. And they knew, you know, I'm, I've got their back. But just trying to be honest, in the, because you know what it's like. There's so many meet. We have. I'm guessing you're the same. Meetings after meetings, before training, after training, in the evening after dinner. So if there's something, I need to represent those players upwards because not a lot of players will speak upwards to the coaches. So I need to be clear with the players. What what's the message? What what do you need? What do you need from me as the vehicle to take to the manager? And then I have to be honest with the manager and, 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 and down. So managing up and down, but clear and honest. So I, I would go with those four. I think I've, I've give you about 10 there, but we're going to try and look. No, that's, I, I'm nodding a lot because as, as you're saying everyone, I'm like, yeah. 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 And I'm thinking of examples straight away when I did it. So like say the clarity one, I think it's such a good one as well. Like, there would be times, and that's why I'm like laughing, you're saying meetings. We'd have like a meeting, like a defensive meeting. And there would be like, uh, it would be, a, this is like on a poor coach, I think. There'd be like a 30 minute meeting on defense. He's got 10 different analogies, 20 different mm-hmm. clips. And I remember leaving this one meeting and the, there's a very senior analyst in this team. And he was very good, been on all, like been about four or five Lions tours, head of that department. He was very good. He's seen coaches come and go. And he went, tell me his two or three takeaways from that meeting. And I remember saying, Oh, yeah, I don't know. He just flooded me with information and the good coaches, and I did it a bit when I was a player, I did it a little bit when I was coaching. They'd be like, Sam, I want you to present on this. You got three minutes. Yeah. So I've like watched, the, I've watched the team we're playing against for maybe the, their last three, four games. I've got three minutes to sum up something. Pre-warm up when everyone's calm, I'd be like, right, what's the two or three key things we've worked on this week? So it's nice that you focused on that in football as well. Was that a conscious thing? Did you focus on that? Or were you like coached through that? Is that something no, you figured I, out yourself? No, I, I don't, I think there's a, I'm not sure, I don't know about other sports, but in football, I think there's a definite lack of coaching leadership. I think people think you're born a leader, which you might be, but I think it can be coached as well. So, and mm-hmm. we, we was, I was very fortunate because we had, I don't know if you know him, Dr. Ian Mitchell, Mitch, they call him. And we had him at Swansea and Wales full time. And he was great. He was great at pointing me in the right direction with things and things like that. So we would go to a press conference and in the car on the way, he would just say, what are like a couple of things that you want to get across to the media? 
and just keep pulling it back to that. No matter where they go, yeah. pull it back to that. Or what are the two or three things that we want to remember yeah. we've done that will get win us this game? But I'm interested. Did you did you do the both the the pre warm up chat and the the pre game chat, or did it was it somebody else would do? Uh, this is what I was going to ask because you said about the leadership group as well, and we had very something very similar. So they would probably be similar to what you said before. Uh, we probably had four or five guys who I would go up to, whether it was when we get to the dressing room, maybe an hour for warm-up, 45 minutes for warm-up. So like during that 45 minutes when everyone's sort of getting their boots on, take that physio, you know, their own individual prep, I might go to say, out of those four or five guys, I just wander across them. Because I know half of them are going to say no, but I just say like, if it was you, I go, oh, Ash, yeah. do, do you want anything yeah. pre-match? Um, and sometimes you go, actually, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't mind 20, 30 seconds, actually. I go, yeah, great. Go to someone else. I'll make, do you want, do you want a bit pre-match? They go, no, nah, no, nah, I'm good. So by the time you get to kick off then, I know there's two boys, get the lads in. I go, I just look at one. He'd kick us off. Look at another, he'd kick us off. By then you've already had a minute and you only got like one or two minutes. Then I might just have a quick 10, 20 yeah. second roundup. So I, I definitely had that group. Who, who was in that group with you, with Wales, for example? Uh, Wales was Chris Gunter, uh, yeah. Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey. And me, nice. So it was a good, four, that's a good group, so. yeah. So it, and we covered a lot of bases. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of examples I could give you. Um, you know, we had a thing where with Chris Common. So through that good period, real good period, we would start off the games by going long. So Wayne Hennessy would kick everything long, everything, and then it was on me to maybe around the 10 minute mark whenever we because the the theory behind that was get the crowd into it get us up the pitch get us going get us high tempo and then settle it down um and it was up to me to then give the call out right now we're going to start playing out from the back we're going to start building it up a little bit more patient but i remember a game at cardiff where aaron ramsey with rambo was like ash like and he'd give me like the the settle down sign and at first I was like, it's too early. Like I looked at the clock and it was like eight minutes and I was like, it's too early. And and also there's a bit of like, well, that's my job to call mm. that. But I trusted him. So I was like, Wayne, right, we're going to start playing out. And then from then on, it was like, okay, well, if I'm asking him to trust me, he's he's as experienced, if not more, in terms of different things that he's seen. And he's made a call and I'm going to go with it because, you know, I could have went back to him and went, no. Because we're 10 to 12 minutes. That's when we're going to do it between 10 and 12. But it was like, no, he's felt something. He's seen something from a different angle. And we're going to go with that. That's just a small little thing where, like you know, they, that I trusted, I trusted all the players, but I trusted that group to, to say whatever it was. And someone like Gareth Bale, he, he would do, so we did the same, you know, talk before the warm up, come in, talk again. And then we'd have the huddle just on the pitch, which became, um, I don't know, a bit of a, a symbol where the fans would get right behind it. And that was just organically just happened where, you know, it would be that, I think it was one day and you would have been there where you go, oh my God, I forgot. I forgot this, <laughs> just this one thing. Like I just wanted to say this one thing. So I was like, quickly come in. And then we just kept it going. And then sometimes I would just say exactly like you, like Gaz, take the huddle just because it maybe it's a different voice, you know. So he he would come and everyone would look at me, and then the voice would come from over here, and it's like, oh, Gaz is talking. And I, yeah. and I think that was good. It just because it also, I think as people um, in any in any uh, job, but you know, for us in sports, they want to feel like 
they own a little piece of it as well. They don't want to just be, they're not robots. They don't want the same way as captain. I didn't want to be told everything from the manager because I have an opinion. So I appreciate people like Chris Coleman, Brendan Rogers, and that would ask, you know, how do you want to deal with this? Because it's like, we okay, defending a corner, you might impose on us that we're zonal marking and not one of the 11 players is comfortable with that. So what's the point? You know, let's let's communicate what, what are we all comfortable with? So I used to try and always give um, my players a, a voice, you know, like, it, how do you feel about this? You've never got all the answers, even now, and you've never got all the answers to, to every question. It's like, maybe lend it, lend the question. How do you think we should deal with this situation? Or logistics, I don't, I don't know how it worked for you, but we would have a lot of say in, when do we fly? You know, do we fly on the Thursday or the Friday? Do we want yeah. two nights abroad or one night or, or whatever it might be? Do we want to fly straight back into Cardiff or do we want to go straight onto? So it's like Chris Coleman was great in asking us because he was like, you guys are the ones that have to perform. And then I, I'd filter that down the chain and go, right, lads, what, what do we want? You know, and then trust what they're saying. Don't, you know, just because they aren't, they haven't got the armband on, trust them and trust the leadership group to make big calls. What about as we finish up now? What... What have you learned now that you maybe didn't know at the start? And say you were speaking to, and I'm not sure you whether you've been asked to do this, I get asked to do this quite a lot, just like from favours, from coaches. And if you're asked to speak to a young player coming through now and they think, oh, this guy could really benefit from speaking to Ashley. Like, what have you learned and what bit of advice would you give that youngster heading into a potentially professional career in football as a, as a leader? Yeah, I get asked it as well. If you talk mm, to your younger yeah. self, um, don't hesitate, just act. You know, don't, if you find yourself hesitating, just act, make an act, go for it. Get after it every day. I know it sounds simple and you hear it everywhere on online and on YouTube, and, but you have the, nothing moves unless you move. It's like, just train every day. Just, you, you gotta just push for those hours of the day and then relax. I don't know, watch Netflix if you want all day, whatever, but whilst you're in the building, just go for it. I, Cause I did it. I love that. Absolutely bang true. No one got to the top being lazy. It, it's no. so true. Well, Ashley, honestly, thanks for coming on. It's been awesome to have you on. Um, been wanting to sort of pick your brains for quite a while. So it's awesome you come on. You have you have really broke down those barriers for, you know, even the younger Welsh generation coming through now who probably, you know, like myself, grew up watching Wales not being particularly successful. But now it's kind of the norm to see that and it'll inspire that next group. And you were sort of one of the key cogs in in doing that. And I think a lot of Welsh fans are listening to this now and think, oh my God, we've got to get Ashley back in Wales in a coaching capacity <laughs> or, or something like that. We didn't even touch upon your Everton career. So, no, Ashley, thanks for coming on, mate. No, it's, no um, yeah, no wonder you were captain for Wales, mate. Can, Hell of a job. And can I ask pleasure. you one quick one? Because this is something that I've always wanted to ask and you yeah. can keep it short as you, as you need to. But when it, if it's a Lions game, yeah. you've obviously got a few leaders in the, in the room. Mm. How does that dynamic work? If you if you can break it down, because I can imagine yeah. I don't know. I, we don't have that. We don't have a we don't have the uh, uh, equivalent in football. So I'm always like I see I've, I've watched all of those documentaries that that I've seen, and I see all the leaders. I'm like, but who is it? Is it weird or is it? natural to just work with other captains now nah, they know i'm the boss <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. thanks to ashley for his time it was great hearing him talk so passionately about that euros run i think the way the football team has bonded with the fans with the bucket hats and the red wall is so great and ashley was at the forefront of all that I did laugh at the idea of him and Gareth Bale watching UFO documentaries and I've been caught going down that rabbit hole as well. 
I loved his captain's compass too, and I thought it was really interesting hearing him talk about how to use and empower others as a leader. There is a quiet strength to involving and listening to others that is often overlooked. My guest next week is former World, European and Commonwealth Champion in the 400m hurdles and Team GB Athletics Captain at the London 2012 Olympics, Di Green. See you then. Crowd Network. A place where you belong.